DraftKings is not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook because it's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. So listen to this great offer. DraftKings is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right, pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I am joined by Nick Horwat. And as before, so is now what we did on Monday, covering the Pittsburgh Penguins from 2010-11 season and kind of reviewing that time in Penguins history. We're going to continue that on today's episode, going through the 2011-2012 iteration of the Pittsburgh Penguins seeing how they responded to their blown 3-1 playoff series loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning. A crazy offseason for the Pittsburgh Penguins personnel-wise, and an even crazier season to happen and to follow. So, Horat, before we get started with all of this, the first question I want to ask you about the 2011-2012 season. How much did it hurt you personally, seeing Yarmir Yager choosing the Philadelphia Flyers over the Pittsburgh Penguins? Uh, it, the Yager one hurt more than uh, when Talbot decided to go there. Yeah. They both, I mean, both hurt. Both sufficiently Yeah, I just stung. think the Talbot one is a little more understanding because I, the Flyers were just offering more money. And in a game like this, in a sport, I think this was the realization here for me that, hey, the money is guaranteed. The money is certain. Other things are not, like yeah. winning and... Uh, having a good team so yeah whether or not he was on a good team or not in philadelphia whether or not he was on a fun team in philadelphia his paycheck was certain and you can't deny that so that one hurt a little bit less than the yager thing but i think the yager thing as well it was just an interesting situation it was he's still an old man were the penguins actively pursuing him i don't even remember that uh, Yarmir Yager, yeah, the Penguins were in on the Yarmir Yager sweepstakes at that moment in time, but he chose to go to Philly instead. He, uh, for whatever reason, he chose that he wanted to go play for the Philadelphia Flyers instead of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I know they were in it at some point, but I'm not exactly sure how late in the process they were in it. I can't remember that, that much as of right now. Interesting. 
wonder if it was a money thing. I genuinely, I don't remember all of the details to it, so I'd be curious to know, like, <clears throat> if maybe the Flyers just offered him more money or they offered him $3 million. I don't think we could have afforded that. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure where the Penguins were with their salary cap at that point. I didn't I didn't look into that before this episode, but it, it kind of did. It, it just felt awful because you had two players that meant a lot to the history of your team. Yes, Talbot wasn't a former goal-scoring champion, but we all remember his heroics in the 2009 Stanley Cup playoffs. He was a fan favorite in the city of Pittsburgh. Going over the cross-state rival Philadelphia Flyers, that stung for both him and Yager, who was... Obviously, two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was the sole reason they stayed in Pittsburgh for a couple of seasons. And both of them choosing, not only just choosing to go elsewhere, but choosing to go to Philadelphia at that point in time as well, where right now the Philadelphia-Pittsburgh rivalry isn't quite as heated as it once was. But at that point, we were in the thick of it. And, and it kind of boiled over at the end of this season, which we'll get into. But that definitely started a pretty interesting offseason for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Evgeny Malkin, as the season was coming closer, he was looking like he was going to be ready for the beginning of the season after tearing his ACL and his MCL the year prior. We still had no idea what Sidney Crosby was going to do. He was not going to play to start the season because he regressed once again. And if you go back and listen to episode 57 on Monday, we talked a lot about, you know, regressing for Sidney Crosby during that time. Not sure what was going to happen during that time and at the beginning of the 2011-2012 season we still didn't know we had no idea we just knew he wasn't going to start the season and the Pittsburgh Penguins they were ready to to move forward not knowing whether or not their captain was ever going to come yeah, back it, we just had to play on and things yeah may have regressed but things didn't look totally over at least we knew there was some confidence building no. in that hey it's it's a new season we got time. We have a team that proved to do something without him or Malkin last season. Yeah, it wasn't a phenomenal finish, but it's a new year. Things always change. I mean, again, I could run down these players again because it was another weird team. I mean, Steve Sullivan was on this team with 48 points. So mm -hmm. it was just another one of those interesting, we'll have to wait and see years. And we waited and saw, I guess. Yeah, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, similar to the previous season, their first 20 games, not the greatest. They went 11-6-3 in their first 20, which is, again, a couple games over 500. But Evgeny Malkin was, as advertised, what the Penguins were hoping he would have been last season, or the season prior, without Sidney Crosby. 24 points in his first 20 games, an impressive start for him. James Neal, after a cold start, only having one goal in the first 12 games, was able to rack off seven in the following eight games, and that's what kind of started James Neal's fantastic year in the 2011-2012 season. And then, for the 21st game of the season, one of the most memorable regular season games in Pittsburgh Penguins history, the Sidney Crosby return game against the, you, you guessed it, we talked about them a lot in the last episode, he returns against the New York Islanders, who were not the greatest team at that point, but they were a team that you look at the previous season, you had the Brent Johnson fight. You had the game that we talked about in episode 57, which had over 250 penalty minutes in one game. And Sidney Crosby returns at 
Consol Energy Center against the Islanders. Probably the first real groundbreaking moment for that arena. We talk about how many memories and how much history was in the Mellon Arena, and you needed to start building that in Pittsburgh. And this was really the first time that it happened, and that was Sidney Crosby being able to return. This became an international media day in Pittsburgh. You had so many news outlets from Canada and the United States all converging on Pittsburgh to watch the return of a player that we didn't know was was ever going to come back. We didn't know if he was going to be able to come back. But luckily, they figured out that that concussion issue was also related to a neck issue, and that's what actually started his return process and his recovery process. And he returned for the first time since the beginning of 2011 in this game, only to score five minutes and 24 seconds in. Horwat, what do you remember of that night? I mean, Crosby finished with two goals, two assists. The Penguins crushed the Islanders five to nothing. What do you remember from that night? I remember I was home alone watching the game, actually. I know it was just like a random Tuesday or something. It, it was a yeah, middle-of-the-week game. Because this, this is the kind of thing it has to be, just a random game. But um, open up the game log, please. It, I just remember being home alone. I kind of remember everyone leaving while those um, lineups were being announced. I forget why everyone was leaving. Uh, but I stayed mm-hmm. home for whatever. I don't even remember where everyone was going, but I stuck around, watched the game. And, yeah, uh, wasn't shocked at all that it happened. I remember that for sure. I remember not being surprised because it's Crosby doing Crosby things. And it was a ton of fun to watch. And that's the most memory I have of the game. Because, again, like I said, this was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were yeah. 14, freshmen in high school, just uh, trying to survive. So, yeah, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> much of it, but I do remember – I do remember at least watching it, seeing it all be announced and it all happening. What I most vividly remember is his first shift, not Mm -hmm. even his second shift where he scored the goal, his first shift and seeing him play and realizing what the Penguins had been missing. Because back then, like you mentioned, we were younger. We didn't follow the game on a day-to-day basis. We didn't watch the entirety of the league on a day-to-day basis as we do today. And going to games where Crosby wasn't there, you you almost forgot at that point how much of a difference maker he was and how good he actually was. And to see him on the ice, it's like, wow, this this is what we've been missing. Like, we, we knew it. We could look at the stats. We could look at all the highlights. But watching it live and watching his first shift, you knew he was going to have something happen. You knew he was going to score a goal at some point you would hope that he had scored multiple points and then the second shift it happens on a a beautiful feed and then Crosby just does all the rest a patented backhander and the f yeah exclamation with a great celly I hated that he had to apologize for that or he didn't have to but I hated that he did apologize for that because I mean I get that he's a reserved human being but come on that is an f yeah moment but just that entire night and specifically just remembering watching his first shift and remembering, oh, yeah, this is why he's the best player in the league. That's what I that's what I remember above all. Yeah, for sure. It's something that will go down in history as one of the most iconic moments in Penguins history. I mean, mm-hmm. it immortalized his career because it's, it's a thing that also you really, if you really, you know, 
in the grand scheme of things, it's a game that shouldn't have happened like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you should have just figured in, a, in an ideal world, it's just a regular Tuesday night game where Crosby's coming, you know, off of a season where he broke records the season before. That's what it really should have been. But, you know, unfortunate things happen. Life is life. And, I mean, we watched Mario go through a ton of injuries and cancer battles. So here we are mm. with Crosby going through his concussion issues that could have ended his career that he wasn't going to let it stop him. So he came back and did the best thing he could, which was put up four points in a four points in a five to nothing victory. Um, and then we don't worry about the fact that he was back on the shelf like four games later. But Yeah, before we get into that, I, I did want to mention a little bit more about yeah. the, just the parallel between Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby. I mean, this was huge. This was the moment that we looked at and we said, wow, this is the biggest – this is the biggest comeback game in Pittsburgh since Lemieux's comeback from right. retirement. I, I, I mean, he came back from retirement, and guess what? Lemieux did basically the same thing against the Toronto Maple Leafs. He didn't put up four points, but I believe he did what have a goal and two assists uh, in that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then you also think about Mario Lemieux's return yeah. from cancer. But that one was in Philadelphia, getting a standing ovation from the Philadelphia Flyers crowd. And it was something that, you saw with Mario Lemieux in the 90s. And the feel of Sidney Crosby doing that made it, I think, all the more special because you had the older generation saying, listen, this game is a big deal. I remember when mm-hmm. Lemieux did it. Crosby's going to do it tonight, and it's going to be something special to watch. And it turned out to be exactly that. And then it turned out to be an extremely special night for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, I, like we mentioned, it was the first really, really important and huge night in that building, Console Energy Center, which is now PPG Paints Arena. It was it, That was the loudest that building had ever been to that point, and it was the most memorable moment up to that point that PPG Paints Arena had ever seen. Do you have the uh, the stats on the Lemieux return game? Uh, for or, his or cancer one, it was just a goal and an assist. So the one in Philly. Mm-hmm. I just got the year wrong on it. For his return, I should know it offhand, but I believe. I thought it was a goal and two assists. Plus three. Yeah. 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 So it was very kind of mirroring each other, which they had done a couple times in their career. Crosby, I should say, had done a couple times in his career, had mirrored Mario Lemieux's accomplishments. And here was just another example of that. But as you mentioned, after Sid, he went on kind of a rampage there a little bit. 12 points in his first eight games back. And then, unfortunately, he has a collision with David Krejci in a game against the Boston Bruins, and he's out again. And if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, you're looking at this and you're saying, are you kidding me? Like, we just got him back from injuries and concussions, and now first time he takes a really, really big hit from Krejci. He's on the shelf again. Is this it now? Like, every time... Even following this, when he came back, every time he got hit, we'd look yeah. and say, "Oh, is that it's... it? Is that is that when we run out of being able to watch yeah, the Crosby?" Yeah, we really kept on our toes, you know, because it was very much a he's fragile now. We know this. We know he is kind of fragile. I mean, we were able to get through a high ankle sprain in like his third season, uh, but this was different. This was a hold your breath because this one almost ended his damn career moment, but. Uh, yeah, then we got to see the second comeback that was a little less memorable, but it happened at Madison Square Garden, so something positive. 
Yep, Crosby out, and this time I believe I, I forgot to actually finish my uh, research on that. I believe he got the neck surgery following that, or mm. they, they rehabilitated the neck. I'm not necessarily sure they got the surgery, but they rehabilitated the neck instead of the head in this one. And then once again, it was up to yeah. Evgeny Malkin. Crosby had come back for eight games, kind of being the one-two, two-headed monster that they were, and then it was back in Malkin's court. Let's see what he does. Well, in December... Following Sidney Crosby's injury, Gino went on a nine-game point streak, including a five-point night on December 17th of 2011 versus the Buffalo Sabres, where he had a hat-trick and tacked on two assists, assists I should say, in an 8-3 to win for the Pittsburgh Penguins. In that month in whole, in 13 games played, Evgeny Malkin had 20 points. In his career, we've talked about how Evgeny Malkin excels and exceeds expectations when Sidney Crosby goes out with an injury, it all stems from this yeah. season. It all started with this season, and he continued it through his entire career. But this was the season that we were like, okay, what's Malkin going to do when Crosby is out this long? And Evgeny Malkin went out and had that December immediately following Crosby leaving once again. It was an absolutely outstanding month for him. Not to mention an outstanding season, but specifically the month of December was crazy for everyone. Yeah, I think the whole season was something special. I mean, he had one, two, three, four, five-point games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two hat-tricks among them. Oh, I mean, among just those five-point games alone. Um, I believe there's only four hat-tricks that season. So that's something special for us, for him especially, because we know we've seen him now. He's very... He can be kind of back and forth. We know he can be an inconsistent sort of on his game, off his game, but this is where the narrative, you said it, this is where the narrative started of when Crosby is out, Malkin steps his game up, and we saw it here with his 109-point season. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the team was not, following the trend of Evgeny Malkin, not the entire team, at least. And the results, win-loss-wise, weren't quite there. As from December 17th to December 27th, the Penguins had a four-game win streak, which was great. And they were playing pretty well going into the new year. They followed that up immediately with a six-game losing streak between December 29th and January 11th. But then once again, an eight-game win streak for the Pittsburgh Penguins from January 13th to January 31st to round out the first month of the season. However... During that eight-game win streak, it was sort of similar to the beginning of the 2021 season where five of those wins were an overtime or a shootout. They could have went any other way. The Penguins were not blowing opponents away by any stretch of the word. Evgeny Malkin was, but the rest of the team really wasn't galvanized around him. It was Evgeny Malkin, it was James Neal, and then everybody else kind of just fell in line. Kunitz and Dupuis played pretty well in, in Crosby's absence, but they weren't the same. And the team, you could tell needed something in February it it got a little bit better the Penguins went 8-4-1 Evgeny Malkin matches his December numbers having 20 points in 13 games once again and the Pittsburgh Penguins after February were in a position to go to the playoffs but again not playing their best hockey not just yet and then of course as you mentioned, Crosby's return, part two, halfway through the month of March. We hit it, and the Penguins hit it in stride, and that helped carry them to a pretty good end of the regular season, the 2011-2012 season. But before we get into any of that, 
We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about the ending of the Penguins 2011-2012 season, what they looked like at full health, and a crazy April Fool's Day game. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we're talking about the 2011-2012 iteration of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We already talked about Crosby's first return. We talked about Evgeny Malkin in his absence. And now let's talk about Crosby's second return, because we thought that Crosby had a torrid pace on his first return. In his second return, maybe he didn't get a four-point game upon returning, but he had a two-assist night against the New York Rangers in MSG on the 15th of March in 2012. And then he followed that up with nine points in his first four games back. Horat, do you remember his second return as vividly as we all remember his first one? I know it's not as memorable. It wasn't as headline-grabbing. But do you remember what happened to the Penguins whenever, or at least what you felt about the Penguins when they got I don't exactly back? remember, but I, I'm shocked you haven't mentioned this yet. He came back to take the tenth to take their 10th straight win. They were on an 11, 10-game win, 9-game win streak going into the game. It grew to 10 the game he came back, grew to 11 in an overtime loss. And then they won two more after that. So really that's what 14, 14 game point streak that uh really swung the momentum of this team because you were talking earlier about how the wins weren't there. And that's without Mal- and that's without mm-hmm. Crosby, but Malkin's putting up the points at least. Um, yeah, the month of March has historically been, you know, fairly uh, placed in the Penguins' favor, and this one was no different. Clearly, as uh, that fifteen game, fourteen game point streak it stands for itself. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of February too, but going in like that without Crosby, you know, he's inching toward a return like that. It's pretty solid. I don't remember. I don't remember that game. I don't remember his second comeback game. I don't remember his. What did you say his pace was right after coming back? Nine points in four games. But that makes sense. That sounds like Crosby, doesn't it? Especially back then. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, it's all great stuff, and it all just kind of led toward what was gonna be, um, what we thought would have been another fun deep playoff run, but. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to that, but it was a disappointing season at the end of it. But at this point, like you mentioned, a 14-game point streak. This team was built and and destroyed on streaky hockey. Like we mentioned earlier, they were great for stretches of games, and they had struggles for stretches of games, and then they were great again. But to finish the season after Crosby's return, the Penguins went 9-4-1. and In that stretch, Sidney Crosby had six goals and 25 points in 14 games. Malkin had 12 goals and 25 points in 14 games. James Neal had 9 goals, 16 points in 12 games. And Chris Kunitz put up 15 points in 14 games. So this was something that bothered the Penguins from this season until the Jim Rutherford era started. And that was that they didn't have depth scoring. Mm-hmm. No, they really didn't. Not one bit. It, it, it hurt them come postseason in 2012. But before that even happened... We have April Fool's Day of that season. 
we already talked on our last episode about how crazy the Islanders-Penguins game was the year prior. Not an exact year prior, but roughly a year prior. The Penguins and the Flyers playing where you knew they were going to be locked up as the 4-5 and five seed Which in the Eastern Conference. There were like, what, four games left of the Penguins' season, and we already knew who we were we were playing in the playoffs that's some, that's weird that doesn't always happen mainly because at that point if you remember the playoff system the top three division the division winners get the top three positions no matter what points they have so the penguins had way more points than the florida panthers but the panthers still want the third seed because they won the at that point it was the east division i believe it was uh or the, uh, the South, yeah, Southeast the Division, I believe there it, it, it the was. the Atlantic, the Northeast, and the Southeast. Yeah. So we knew we were going to play the Philadelphia Flyers. So going into this matchup, we knew it was going to get gritty. We knew it was going to get really <laughs> your face there when I said gritty. Yes, no pun intended because he didn't exist at that point. But we knew it was going to get scrappy. And the Penguins ended up losing the game 6-4. to four in Pittsburgh, but nobody really remembers that game for the scoring. People remember that because of a sequence started by Joe Vitale laying out Danny Briere with about two minutes left in the game. Following that, huge line brawl. Massive line brawl. And if you remember correctly, there was a great fight between, I believe it was Derek Englund and Wayne Simmons that was only overshadowed by the fact that Aaron Ashton was fighting two different Philadelphia Flyers with one on each fist. And then even more so is remembered was the fact that then Penguins assistant coach, Tony Granato, and Peter Laviolette were at each other's throats standing on the stanchions of the boards and of the bench, screaming back and forth. And we just all remember this mainly because they were about to have a first-round playoff series. It was Penguins Flyers. The tension was high in every game that season. All started, I mean, by the fact that it's already a historic rivalry, added by the fact that Yarmir Yager and Max Talbot went to the Flyers this past the past offseason. And then this game just turned it up to 11. And everybody, I was excited for the playoff series after seeing this. But what do you remember from that April Fool's Day melee? Again, I, was, I remember being excited to watch the game. And it's one I remember fairly well I just it's just mind-boggling to me that I still can't get over that even then like we knew we were going to be playing them in the playoffs but if you look at this the numbers of the rest of the divisions we were only a point back of the Rangers one thing slips the wrong way where that yeah this game happens but like I said there was four games after one thing slips in a different way we don't talk about this playoff series I just but remember it was, like so it was basically inherently possible that, that the Penguins were, were going to be playing the Flyers. It was pretty much – it felt like it was set in stone even though it wasn't That's clinched. the thing. Like, but you can remember if anyone uh, goes back and watches these uh, – watches the replays from this game, I think it was Pierre said a couple times, these two teams will be playing each other in the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. How are there four games left? And these two teams had to play each other again still. They closed the season against each other. Which, if I remember correctly, was yeah, very I uneventful. I tried to game. look at it. Look at it. There was like nothing happening, so it was mostly just um, bench warmers and 
uh, the goalies getting prepped, which honestly, you'd figure that would have more fireworks because it's a bunch of guys trying to fight their way into the league, especially during this era. But, yeah, just for whatever reason, everyone was just like, yeah, these two teams will be playing each other in the playoffs, even though there's like a week and a half left of the season. But here we are with this game, and what I remember about it really is not liking the Flyers again. I mean, the yeah. the rivalry sort of tamed a little bit whenever the Capitals came onto the scene with Ovechkin, but this one was always still there. It was always still a fierce competitive rivalry that had been lurking around and had been waiting for a moment like this to really pop off and show that this is still one of the biggest, uh, most popular rivalries in the league. And it's funny, too, if you go back and watch it, the hit that Joe Vitale had on Danny Briere was as clean as a whistle. It was extremely clean hit. It was just an open ice hit. And then if you watch it, it's weird because gloves and sticks go flying and it looked like everybody just swarmed that yeah. area of the ice From on both remember, teams something else had to have happened before then i don't yeah i, I think something else happened but nothing that i i could find but when looking back through it unless i would have looked at the whole game but and hey if you want to know how clean the hit was joe vitale did not take a single penalty that game wasn't penalized for the hit wasn't penalized for anything joe vitale had a clean hit Unless you're getting the name wrong, but I... No, it was, I, yeah, it was Joe Vitale. For a second, I glanced at your face and you looked confused. But yeah, no, Joe Vitale did not take a single penalty that game. So... Yeah, I'm just trying to... Th I would have thought that he would have gotten into a fight at that point, but I guess it makes sense that Aaron Ashram had two flyers, then somebody on the Penguins would have been left out of the of Yeah, the no, it was totally clean, and it got worked out somehow. I'm going to try and quickly pull up the video for myself to reference, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, he didn't take a penalty. I'm going to mute my mic while I type really loudly, too. Yeah, no, no problem. And that was really one of the more intriguing games of that season. So you, you think about the season that had the Sidney Crosby return, and then you also think that you have this in that season. It was just kind of foreshadowing what we were going to see between these two teams in the first round of the 2012 Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, the Penguins ended the season a couple games later, against the Philadelphia Flyers, but they ended the season fairly well, finishing fourth in the Eastern Conference. But let's talk about, I mean, do you do you have what you wanted to see yes. there with, with Joe Vitale before we yeah. talk about the end of the so season? So the hit stuff? happens, Joe Vitale, and it's, yeah, it's a quick scrum. Like, people immediately bolt toward Vitale, but Asham is immediately in everyone's way. So that's kind of where you get that from. Mm -hmm. And Vitale uh, just, in a way avoids everyone scampers out because someone goes after him i can't tell who that is but matt niskin and, and Derek england both step in the way of vitaly so vitaly kind of got out of it with just um oh with ironically just the old the old holds you know with the old how your wife and kids doing uh with with briere yeah with briere <laughs> people who just got up so everyone else took penalties and vitaly and briere just kind of probably just talked i'm sure briere said hey good hit um, I won't uh, skate with my head down anymore. Yeah, I, I don't think they said that because these two teams really hated each other at that point. <laughs> so I'm not sure they were right. exchanging pleasantries, especially a guy like Danny Briere, who was really, really heavily factored and featured in that rivalry back in the day. But at the end of the regular season, let's talk a little bit about Evgeny Malkin. He had 50 goals that year, 109 points. 28 points in the final 15 games, 
which he scored points in 14 of those 15 games, only held scoreless once. He won the Art Ross for the second time in his career. He won the Lester B. Pearson Award, which is, of course, the best player as voted on by his peers. And he won the Hart Trophy. This was his year, as we mentioned earlier, to show what he could do if he had his own team. And he responded outstandingly. We always say, looking at Evgeny Malkin's career, when we're talking about where he fits and where his legacy fits in NHL history. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes. But is he a top 10 player of all time? People have a trouble with that argument. Is he a top 100 player in the NHL? In the NHL's history? We say yes. But the argument there is, he plays in the shadow of Sidney Crosby. But realistically, I don't think either of them see it that way. I don't think either of them have ever seen it that way. It is probably the most symbiotic superstar relationship in the history of professional sports. The way that they've played together, the way that they have no interest in leaving the city of Pittsburgh and no interest in playing with anybody else in this league. So that was his true year to show what would happen if Evgeny Malkin had his own team throughout his entire career. And looking back on it, I think he probably would have been revered a lot more had he played on his own team. And I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, you almost, you look at that season and you realize, well, he, it's not because Crosby was out. I mean, Crosby still did play in 22 of those games. It's not because of that, but you look at that that year and you almost want to say to yourself it's a damn shame he couldn't do that more often one way or the other Uh, one thing that's hard for Malkin though is that he gets injured just about just as much that's a very difficult part Mm -hmm. too I mean he has two 82 game seasons under his belt but they were both in before the 2010s so it's hard for him as well but yeah, you just look through his numbers, and sure, he hasn't matched to this same sort of level of 50 goals. I mean, got a 42 in there and a 33. That's it. We'd love to still make the argument of, yeah, he's a top 100 player, because he is. Because he definitely can be. This season showed it. It's just a shame that it couldn't carry on to for more than just that season and yeah the 2008-2009 season was better per se because he had 113 points but um not too many players honestly though can say they've won two art rosses ah was he robbed of a heart trophy that year i'm trying to remember who no he won i'm talking about the uh, 2008-2009 no, he didn't win. Yeah, he, I was tr- he came in second. I'm trying to remember who won it. Um, oh. That sounds like it's yep. probably a Novechkin year. Over a Sedin year. Oof, with all yeah. of the votes, basically. All right, well, I mean, yeah, not too many players can say, you know, they've won it. They've won a, a Hart Trophy. Almost won two. So, yeah, you definitely got to put him up where he belongs, which is a Hall of Fame player, but... You do have to say it. It is almost a shame that he couldn't do this more often. Mm -hmm. Now, taking a look at the rest of the team, we mentioned that this team was top-heavy during the regular season. James Neal had his best season of his career, 40 goals, 81 points in 80 games, 
easily the best season of his career. The only time he reached 30 goals other than that season was in 2015-16 with the Nashville Predators. So James Neal had a fantastic season. Sidney Crosby, we mentioned that he only played in 22 games. He still notched 37 points. So he was still very productive in the short amount of games that he played. And then you look at the rest of their basically their, their top six in their third line center. You had Chris Kunitz, who scored 26 goals and had 61 points. You had Pascal Dupuis put in 25 goals and 59 points. And then Jordan Stahl is your third line center. He had a 25 goal season and finished with 50 points. So it was basically those guys and then a bunch of other players that just kind of filled roles. I mean, Tyler Kennedy played. Mm-hmm. Did he play that season? I'm pretty sure he still played in that season. He played all right. He didn't quite get to 20 goals that year, but you look at the rest of the lineup, they weren't quite what they needed yeah, to be. It, this and, was a weird season. I mean, it was a mishmash of guys trying to be depth pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said off the top, 37-year-old Steve Sullivan was on this team. Uh, we've mentioned Aaron yeah. Rich, We started the, either started or played the whole season with Richard Park. Okay, this was that <laughs> weird season of we just kind of threw names in there. We already mentioned Joe uh, Yeah, like we just threw names in there on offense and hoped for the best. I mean, Mark Letestu. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that Marcel Gotch? Gotch was Gotch year? not this year. I don't think next year either. The, I remember he, he was 14-15 was I his think. last year here. You're right. I know that, but I think he played yeah. for like two years. It was a wild yeah. year. I mean, Dustin Jeffrey, again, playing a lot of time. We had a lot of defensemen that year, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of defensemen. So it, it was it was a very interesting team for the Pittsburgh Penguins, whereas they had the star power and they had the top-tier talent, but it was just weird trying to fill in those spots below and beneath them. Definitely nowhere near what they've had, at least in recent memory, once you get into the 2016, 2017, even in 2021, the depth is just at another level than it was back in 2012. But you still had a good feeling going into the playoffs against the Philadelphia Flyers. You had finished ahead of them in the standings. Despite the way that you expected them to play, you thought maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be able to just skate around it. Maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be able to ignore the Philadelphia Flyers tactics because they are the better team when it comes to the skill. And then we get into the actual series. Game one, the Penguins blow a 3-0 first period lead and end up losing 4-3 in overtime. Jacob Voracek scores the overtime winning goal. Game two, both goalies absolutely suck, but the Flyers end up pulling away, scoring four third period goals, and they're up two to nothing. In game three, similar to the April Fool's Day game, 134 total penalty minutes and more horrid goaltending by Marc-Andre Fleury, picking up where he left off in the previous game, giving up four goals in the first period, and the Penguins ends up losing eight to four. And just like that, the Penguins are down three this, to nothing. Yeah, this was the start of the Flurry's not good in the playoffs run. This is kind of what set it yeah. off. I mean, giving up 16 goals in two games will do that to you. I don't know if the, all 16 of those were him. I don't remember. I'm not looking at it right now. But still, it's definitely the start of it. Uh, I don't know why. I just remember this series. Maybe I'm just remembering it from this point on. Um, but my feeling was we. I always felt like we were just dead on arrival this series just because maybe the way I look back at it is you know we gave up 16 in in games two and three two important games yeah the playoffs every game is important but more often than not when you're already down one 
down 1-0 after an overtime loss. You need those games. You gave up 16 in those two. You can't do that. Yeah, you bounce back to score 10 the next game. Well, congratulations. All you did there was avoid the sweep. <laughs> so, it's... This series, though, was wild and... Oh, just, it's bad memories. I just remember being dead on arrival. Us playing, like, utter trash. I mean, hey, a 10-goal game. Honestly, putting up 10 on, uh, against the Flyers in Philadelphia, I don't care what the series is like. That's fun. We had one fun game in there. If, if all else fails, yeah. we can say we put up 10 on the Flyers in a elimination game in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That's a positive. That's fun. But everything else about this sucked. Even the Game 5 win, something about that felt bad. Yeah, it felt when they went down three to nothing, especially because of the way they did it. Because in game one, they came out really well. They had three nothing lead after the first, and then from that point until the end of game three, the Penguins looked absolutely awful. The the Flyers completely dominated the performance because they beat the crap out of the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's no there's no better way to put that. They just beat the ever living crap out of the Penguins, and the Penguins did ha- didn't have any idea of how to yeah. respond to that. That they really had no clue of how to respond to the Philadelphia Flyers. And all of a sudden, you're down 3-0. And yes, you have Crosby. Yes, you have Malkin. But at this time, you know, Flurry, the way that he had played, the way that the entire team had responded to the physicality of the Philadelphia Flyers, you just felt, like like you mentioned, you, you felt like yeah. you were dead on arrival, especially, you know, going into game four. Now, Malkin and Crosby each getting three points. You're being able to route the Flyers, and you're down 3-1. to one. And then even when you win at home in game number five, I mean, the Pens' third line was able to score two absolutely huge second-period goals to bring the Penguins back and, and give them a 3-2 to two win. All of a sudden, you're down 3-2 in the series, but when that game six in Philly started, from the first shift on, it was the same as games two and game three. You know it was not going to go well for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think that's the huge thing that most people remember when they think about the Flyers Penguins series of 2012 is that first shift by Claude Giroux in a game where the Penguins had started to take the momentum back in the series and the game went to Philly. If the Penguins would have won that game, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the Flyers were not mentally capable of taking game seven. If they were to given up a three Oh series. Lead. I never thought of it like that because this is one of those series you just kind of block from your memory. Um, mm-hmm. But thinking back, yeah, if you're able to bust, you know, bust past being down 3-0, even just to tie it, that says something. Especially with the way that you went down 3-0. I mean, the the, the 8-5 and 8-4 losses, blowing a 3-0 lead in the first, you shouldn't have any hope, any glimmer of hope. But if they would have been able to come back and tie it at 3, I think Philadelphia would have looked at that and said, how did we get to this point? Like, how did we drop so far from where we started this power play goals in game four that could do it well yes yeah (laughs) Yeah, i i would love to look at that tangle game in philadelphia just just because it's a tangle game in philadelphia that i totally forgot about until um i looked into the series not that long ago that i would love to just look at that game and be like that was a turning point game we scored 10 we put up double digits on our biggest rivals in their home arena in the playoffs to swing the play to swing the series back in our favor. I would love to be able to do that today, but we can't because everything else just felt bad. And everything else just turned out bad and like I said, it was the start of Flurry's bad period in the playoffs. 
Yep. And back to that game six, and of course, we all remember Giroux absolutely pummeling Sidney Crosby into the boards off the opening faceoff, then immediately going down and scoring at the 32nd mark of the first period. Another bad goal allowed by Marc-Andre Fleury at that point. It wasn't really weak, but it should have been one that he had saved. And the Flyers go on to beat the Penguins 5-1 to in Game 6. They take the series four games to two. And this was the beginning of the torch-passing debacle. Oh, yeah. Of Sidney Crosby passes the torch to Claude Giroux as the NHL's best player. That is something that is just comical to th- look back and think about that they actually people actually believed and not people didn't actually believe that, but Philadelphia sports fans believed that Claude Giroux was about to take the torch from Sidney Crosby as the best but player. Let's not in the forget NHL. the Flyers went on to lose to the Devils in five the ne- the very next round. Yeah, the Devils were on their way to the Cup yeah. final, but still. But at the end of the w- season another disappointing playoff loss this time with Crosby and Malkin. So you don't even have the excuse that you had the year before. And probably I would say, is this loss to the flyers, the worst loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Crosby era in the playoffs? No. Which one is worse? Is, are any of these past three worse than that one? I still firmly hold to that. That Boston series is the worst. Okay. There, there have been, now I'm starting to think about it. There have been a lot of bad playoff losses this for the This Philly one Penguins. might be second, but I think it mm-hmm. loses. It might not even be second. It loses a ton of luster because something just felt off the entire time. Nothing felt like it yeah. was going to go our way. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's definitely not up there. Also, losing the cup. Let's not forget losing the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but at it, least then you could look back. It was, it was, a, it was a young team. That had never been there before, and you're playing the Red Wing team, which was oh my like god, eight absolutely Hall of Famers fantastic. On it. I mean, Dominic Hashik was on yeah. that team. Can we remember that? Dominic Hashik was on that team. <laughs> he was the backup goalie, I think wasn't he? Was he was the third string, actually. Jeez, but yeah, no, that Detroit Red Wings team was so good. I I have no ill will towards that season. It was disappointing. It sucked to lose in Game Six of the Stanley Cup Finals, but at least you had the memories of going to the finals, and at least you knew that there was good things to come for the Penguins. At this point, after finally getting Crosby back after so long, after the season that Evgeny Malkin had, to lose to your cross-state rivals, not only to lose to them, but to get embarrassed by them. Those two wins are not soulless enough to bring back what was an absolutely just abominable showing by the Pittsburgh Penguins. I would still agree with you that the loss to Boston was a little bit worse because of where it was in the playoffs and because of the expectations that season. And also just the compounding result of the previous two years after blowing the 3-1 lead to Tampa, after losing this series to Philly, to finally be able to get back to playoff prominence only to lay a goose egg in the conference finals, that probably makes it a little bit worse. And then you you talk about the 14 and 15 series losses. I mean, both of those, again, the team didn't feel – 15 especially, that team didn't feel right. Yeah. And the New York Rangers of 2014, let's not forget, went the whole way to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, so there was a little bit of that in there. These three most recent ones, yeah, they're up there, but it's just hard because something, because again, like something felt different about last last year's team, for sure. Um, Who knows if they were even going to be able to do anything if they managed to get past Montreal. 
this past one we've yeah. discussed at nauseum. Don't need to do that anymore. It's <laughs> yeah. So you kind of realize that yeah, every playoff loss hurts. Every playoff series loss hurts. Mm-hmm. But it just depends on the ones that hurt the most. And I just think this one because it felt so negative the entire time. Because it wasn't it it was more of a fight night than it was in a hockey game, and. It didn't yeah. feel like a playoff series in that term, so it just sucked to be. It kind of sucked to sit through six games of that, really. You know, it it's almost like mm-hmm. you. I mean, yeah, like I said, it was fun putting up ten in Philly, but why? Why'd you have to do that to us? Why couldn't you just go down? Just why'd you just have lay to on give your me sword hope. and go down, take the sweep, we move on. But um, yeah, but then there's that Boston one, and that Boston one will always, always stick out to me, especially because. Uh, that team should have done it. That team was built to do it. it. I guess I don't know. Maybe not. But that team was built different. That's the only way to put that 2013 team. Then there's this one that ah it just sucks. Yeah, both the 2013 team and the 2021 team were taken down by goaltending, but the 2012 team was taken down by its entire mm-hmm. entire squad. So. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We hope you enjoyed this walk down memory lane on Monday's episode, on today's episode. But we'll be back talking about the current Pittsburgh Penguins on Monday, next Monday's episode, I should say. Episode 59, Season 2 of the Tip of the Iceberg. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for following us. And thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, those of you who have. We will see you guys next week. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.